0: Thanks, Angie. And uh, as Angie said, my name is John and I'm the lead pastor here. It's great to have you here with us this morning, especially as we celebrate uh, the significance of baptism. And if you have a desire to be a part of that, we'd love to have you do that. We've already got people signed up for August baptism. Um, That's going to be outside uh, at our all church picnic. So we'd love to have you go public with your faith in the same way these individuals have today. One of the things that uh, we highlight regularly is our family ministry, and uh, for those of you that might not know, we have a family ministry window. It's the orange window out there that matches the check-in area, and we have resources that we provide for our families all the time, and one of the seasons of family life that sometimes get forgotten is when the kids move out of the house. So some of you may be anticipating that with graduations and weddings and, and kids moving on to college and all those transition happening, but the parenting process doesn't end. There. Actually, I would suggest it may even get harder because you know more and you have less control than ever with your adult kids. And so I want to encourage you towards a resource that's in our window out there for uh, you to get a hold of and uh, go through and spend some time with. It's called Doing Life with Your Adult Children, and I love the subtitle Keep Your Mouth Shut and The Welcome Mat Open. And uh, so it's a great resource if you are in that parenting season where your kids are moving um, into those years. We encourage you to consider checking that resource out. Well, this morning, we're going to continue our series that we started last week entitled Unconventional Wisdom. Unconventional Wisdom. And we're looking at statements and phrases that you may have heard um, that we want to encourage you to rethink, re explore, and look at these from a different perspective. And this morning, we want to look at, this, at the statement that says, My faith is a private matter. My faith is a private matter matter. You believe what you believe, I'll believe what I'll believe, and we're not going to talk about it. You know, in our culture today, we can talk about everything that's going on with the Kardashians. You know, we can talk about the sex affairs of our political leaders. We can talk about the final episode of Game of Thrones or the last uh, Avengers movie, but we can't talk about our faith. And so this morning, I want to question this idea that my faith Is a private matter. You say, John, why are we questioning that idea? The reason we're questioning that idea is because people are looking for answers to the deepest questions in their lives. They're looking for questions about meaning. They're looking for questions about purpose. They're looking for questions about what happens when life comes to an end. They're looking for questions about how to deal with guilt and shame. They're looking for freedom from the things that they feel powerless to attack. And if we never talk about them, we just stay on the trivialities of life, just on the surface. But there's a second reason why I think it's vitally important for us to talk about this issue. And that's because as people of faith, if you're a person of faith, you have a responsibility to help people answer these questions. Now, maybe this morning someone invited you to the baptism or a friend brought you here and said, hey, I'll take you out to lunch. You're like, I'm not going to pass up a free lunch, so I'll come to church if I have to get it. Um, And so maybe you're not a person of faith this morning. Maybe you're exploring faith or or you're not quite sure about the whole faith thing. And my hope for you this morning is that as you listen to this message, you'll get a better understanding of why sharing our faith is so important to people of faith and what God has to say about the way that it should be. Done. You see, people of faith have a certain responsibility to offer answers to these kinds of questions that people are asking. You say, why is that true? Well, in the book of 2 Corinthians, if you want to grab a Bible and turn there, it's page 938. There's Bibles in your seat, so you can follow along in your phone or app. 2 um, Corinthians chapter 5, uh, this is a letter written to a church in Corinth. Um, it's a community that Paul wrote to numbers of times. And as he wrote these letters to them, he said this in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. And that's what baptism is, a celebration. It's a celebration of someone who says, there was a time in my life where I was living my life about me. That's all that mattered. It was just about me. And I recognized that life was hollow and empty, and I needed Jesus. And Paul goes on to say, he said, all this is from God. This is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ, through the cross. So God and mankind were separated. They were in conflict. They were enemies of each other. And God brought them together through the cross. And then he gives those who now Christ followers this ministry of reconciliation. He says that God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, because they were paid for on the cross, and he now commits to Christ followers, to people of faith, this message or this ministry, this responsibility to reconcile others to God as well. He says, "We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God made His appeal to us." You know what an ambassador is? An ambassador is someone who goes to another country, not their home. They leave their home country, they go to another country. And they are the representative of their home country. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying if you are a Christ follower, this earth, this world is not your home. This is not the place you are from. There's another place, God's place where you're from. But you're left here as long as God has you here to be an ambassador for Him. And it's as if God was speaking through your mouth. He said, as though God were making His appeal through us. You know, God doesn't have a plan B. God doesn't have, oh, that one's not going to work. I guess I'll try this one. I'll put it on the, side of, you know, on the side of airplanes and buses and trail it through planes in the sky. No, that God doesn't have a plan B. His plan A is people who are people of faith. He says, we implore you, we plead with you on Christ's behalf. This is what He calls us to do. To say to others, be reconciled to God. So here's the question. Can we communicate our faith in the right way, in the right time, so it doesn't come off like a weird sales pitch. Like a weird sales pitch. Um, I grew up in the church. I think many of you know my dad's been a pastor for over 50 years. And, and very early in my dad's life and, and ministry, um, he had someone teach him how to share Jesus with other people. And as I grew up in our home and I grew up in that setting, I was taught some of those same things. I was taught how to knock on the door, I was taught the right questions to ask, I was taught the the right illustrations to use, and I was taught a process to bring someone to a place where even if they didn't know they needed Jesus, they would recognize they would need Jesus and they would be given an opportunity to choose Jesus. And then you walk out the door and you never have a conversation with them ever again. And this process for me was reinforced through my um, undergrad and graduate experiences, and, and I love sharing Jesus with people and I would do it whenever I would have opportunities to do that and I'll never forget a conversation I had with a coworker. We we're at another buddy's house that we worked together and I thought God was providing me an opportunity to share the gospel and I shared the gospel with this guy and he said to me this and I'll never forget his words he said if I was buying what you're selling I might be interested but I'm not but I'm not I was like that was not what I intended Right message. Great opportunity. Wrong approach. Wrong approach. You see, our mission here at CCC is to lead people who are searching for more into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. not trying to sell some, sell them something they're not sure they really want, but we want them to try it because we think if they try it, they'll like it. No. No. It's to lead people who are searching for more into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. The problem is often our delivery method. That's the problem. I have a little dog at home. She's a beagle. And we've had her for a number of years. And one of the things that you discover very quickly about beagles is they will eat anything in sight you know, one of the biggest challenges, you open the dishwasher door, she comes down and she practically climbs in the dishwasher to like anything in sight there, you know. Um, any Anytime the can opens in the living kitchen, you know, she's there right at your feet. Cooking dinner, she's there right at your feet, always looking for food. And she'll eat just about anything. You hold it in your hand, put it in, and say treat, and she'll just, oh yeah, and she'll just, you know, take a bite out of it. So um, she's been under a little stress as my son's going away to college and we're not at home as much, and so she doesn't like being home by herself. And so Uh, the vet suggested these pills, so we're like, okay, we're drugging our dog now, but uh, we'll try it, you know, so uh, we'll do anything, and uh, she was really stressed, so we took the pills and cut them in half, and I I held one, I was like, treat, Casey, treat, and she looked at it, and took one look at it, and she walked away, didn't want anything to do with it. Now, how she could know that wasn't a little dab of ice cream, and it was a pill instead, I don't know, Um, but she didn't want anything to do with it, and so, so I've had dogs for all my life, so I'm like, come here, Casey, so she comes, and I'm like, And so I pry her jaws open, stuff it down her, clamp her snout shut, and, you know, rub her throat, and sure enough, it goes down. She's squirming the whole time, you know, like this, and, you know, in convulsions practically. And my wife watches this happening, and my wife says, um, if that's what it's going to take to do that to the dog, ah, we're going to get rid of the dog. I'm like, oh, man, I've got to find a better way. So, um, I'm like, what can we do? What can we do? So I thought, what about peanut butter? She really loves peanut butter. You know, she loves to lick the empty peanut butter jar. That's one of the highlights of her life. And, and so, um, so I got a little peanut butter, and I took the pill. I wrapped the pill in peanut butter, and I said, come here, Casey. And she came with her tail wagging, you know, all excited, and I held my finger out, and she chomped the whole thing, basically bit my, practically bit my finger off, and I can hear her chewing the pill inside of her mouth. And what did I do? I just changed the delivery method, right? She's still getting the pill. I just was, tried to give it to her in a different way so it had a little more of a desirability for her to get the same end result. And the problem, I think, is too often with our faith, we don't pay attention to the way that we communicate it. And this morning I want to talk with you about this. I want to look at a passage of Scripture, I think, that outlines some ways that God says this is important. And I love the fact that we're talking about this on Baptism Sunday because we get to see the result of God changing people's lives when we make that commitment to engage with them. If you turn, back, turn forward a few books to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 4, if you're there in your Bibles. And Colossians is a letter that Paul wrote not to a specific church, but a group of churches. It's as if he was writing to the churches in Reinholds. Um, he wrote to the churches in Colossae. And in chapter 4... He starts off by saying this, he says devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. And I want to suggest that the first part of this process of making faith not a private matter, but something that I'm engaged with very intentionally is prayer. Is prayer. And that may seem obvious to say that, but if I were to say to you today, who are you praying for who doesn't know Jesus? What would you say? Who are you praying for who doesn't know Jesus? what would you say? And so this morning I want to give you some categories. I want to encourage you if you've got a program, take out your note sheet from there, pull out your phone, grab a communication card, because I'm going to give you some categories. I want you to write some names down, okay? I want you to write some names down. So the first one is, are there family members who don't know Jesus? This is a participatory exercise, so I should see all of you with pen in hand or phones out, you know? Everybody be involved in this in some way, okay? So, who, is there a family member that you have that doesn't know Jesus? That doesn't know Jesus. And are you praying for that family member? So, write the name down of a family member who doesn't know Jesus. Here's the second category maybe a coworker or a classmate who doesn't know Jesus. Coworker or classmate. Now, in my situation, all of my coworkers are followers of Jesus, so I have to think broader outside of that. So, I think of maybe it's the waitress who waits on me nearly every week when I'm in Park Place having breakfast with one of you. Or when I stop at Dunkin' Donuts and get coffee and the woman who's there. Maybe that's who I'm praying for. Um, Third category is how about neighbors? How about neighbors? This is a big one for me. It's neighbors. When I stand out my back door and I look at the people's houses around, and I know most of their names, not all their names. Or I go out my front door and I look at the houses that are around. You're like, "Ah, John, all i got is squirrels and deer out there when I do that. you know, So you might have to go down the street a little bit. But are there people that are around you who you're like, I don't know if they have a relationship with Jesus. And lastly, friends. Friends. Is there a friend whose name you would put down on that sheet of paper who doesn't know Jesus? I have a guy that's been a friend of mine probably about a dozen years. And um, still praying for him to choose Jesus. Still praying for him to choose Jesus. And I want to challenge you to do something this summer as we're beginning this summer. I want to challenge you to write down those four names somewhere. If it's on a piece of paper, if it's on your phone, if it's somewhere, I want to challenge you to pray for those individuals every day for the whole summer. Every day for the whole summer. And I want to give you some very specific things to pray for, for them. The first is to pray for opportunities. Pray for opportunities. Paul said, and this is the verse I read earlier, devote yourselves to prayer And then he goes on to say, and pray for us that God might open a door for our message. Paul says, I'm praying for the door to swing open so the message can go out to those individuals. And so my challenge to you is pray for an opportunity. Pray for an open door that that might happen. One of the things that's interesting about Paul, if you look at this last verse, he talks about, I pray that we could proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. He's actually in prison. Now, if I was Paul and I was in prison... I would be praying for my attorney and I would be praying for the, for the jury verdict to go my way or I'd be praying for an angel to come from heaven and open the doors in the mouth. I'd be praying for something else other than opportunities. And, and Paul just kind of reminds us here, he's an ambassador and he lives like an ambassador everywhere he is and says, God, maybe you'll give me an opportunity here. Maybe you'll give me an opportunity here. Maybe you'll give me an opportunity here. But I want to challenge you to be praying for the people that are in your life. The second thing to pray for is to pray for courage. To pray for courage. Look at what Paul says in another book, Ephesians 6. He says this, So that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. And then the next verse, verse 20, says I'm ambassador. There's that word again. Pray that I would declare it fearlessly as I should. And so the second thing I want to encourage you is pray that God will give you confidence. Pray that you won't shrink back in fear. Pray that you will take a step and have a conversation with someone. I'm not suggesting that you have three points in an outline and you lead them in a prayer in that moment. I'm saying that you simply ask the question. When things are happening in the world scene, say, what do you think about that? When someone that you both know is navigating the end of life, how do you navigate the end of life? When someone's facing a difficult situation, to say to them, How would you navigate that if you were in this same situation? You see, you're asking God for an open door to begin a conversation with them about things below the surface. And the last thing is to pray for clarity. To pray for clarity. Don't add a whole lot of other things to the gospel. You know, you start talking to people about stuff that is below the surface and you can get caught up in a whole lot of issues. You can get caught up in political issues you can get caught up in the issue of abortion you can get caught up in the issue of gay rights you can get caught up in the issue of gender you can get caught up in all kinds of other issues are they valuable things to have conversations absolutely we're going to talk about how to do that a little bit later but it's important we don't lose sight of the fact that if you are a follower of Jesus he says you're an ambassador you're my only shot I don't have a plan B in the lives of these people that I placed you in, and it doesn't have to be complicated. I love the story in John nine where there's this guy that Jesus heals, and he's getting um, put through the ringer by people saying, "How did he do it? And why did he do this? And why were you blind? And what happened?" And the guy says, "I don't really know. All I know is I was blind, and I met Jesus, and now I can see. That's it. Plain and simple. It's not very complicated." And so I would encourage you, if you're a follower of Jesus, can you share your story in a simple way? Can you share your story in a simple way? What was your story like before you met Jesus? How did you meet Jesus? And how's it changed your life? And it doesn't matter what your story is. I met Jesus when I was a little kid. And I was scared and I wasn't sure about some things. And I discovered that Jesus could be someone that could walk with me through those things and give me hope. And peace, not only in this life, but in the life to come. And it's altered the course of my life. course of my life. So the first thing to do is pray. First thing to do is pray. And I think most people with faith can say, I can do that. I can pray. I can pray. Second thing I want to encourage you to do, and there Paul says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly. That's the clarity piece. The second thing is invest. Invest. Invest by loving someone. Invest by serving them. In, invest in the life of someone else. Because one thing about faith, while I'm suggesting that it's not a private matter, it is very personal. It is very personal. And we don't talk to people we don't know about personal information. It requires us to do what? Build trust with them. It requires us to build trust so we have influence. And this is a difficult one because for many of us, we've come out of church backgrounds and church experiences where we were taught that there's like this wall of separation between people of faith and people who are not of faith. And you had to build this wall of separation because if you stepped over that wall, there was this fear you were going to dive into the deep end and you were going to wreck your life forever. And so you had to stay behind this wall of separation. The problem is, is Jesus didn't do that. So I'm not sure why people of faith have created that way of thinking because Jesus didn't do that. Jesus climbed right over top of that wall and talked to people who were far from God all the time. All the time. Some of us have been exposed to what I would call hit-and-run evangelism, you know? Someone knocks on the door, or someone sticks something in your door, and you try to have a conversation with them, they won't even talk to you. They'll turn around and walk the other way, you know? Or or someone supposedly looks like they're leaving a $20 tip and they open it up and it's a tract with a gospel and the waiter or waitress is saying, you blankety, blank, blank, blank. That's really helping them to want to look for Jesus, you know? But that's not what... God's talking about. And so for some crazy reason, we developed this way of relating to people that thinks if we throw something at them and take off and run, that they're going to be interested in Jesus, that they're going to be interested. But Jesus never modeled that. He said, did Jesus talk to strangers? Yeah, he did. He did. But he talked to them in such a way that they were curious that they wanted to know more. Not that they were like, oh, what's up with you? You're a weirdo. You know, not that they were, hey, Jesus, the people who were least like Jesus, they liked Jesus. They wanted to be around Jesus. They didn't want to be alienated from Jesus. So how do we do that? How do we invest in people? Well, Paul goes on to say this in Colossians 4 or 5. He says, you've got to use wisdom. You've got to use wisdom. An outsider simply meaning those that are, have a relationship with Jesus and those that not. He says you have to use wisdom. You have to listen. You have to understand perspectives that are different than yours. Perspectives that you may totally disagree with. You have to understand them and listen to them. And you have to recognize that your actions and choices should be to move people towards you and not to alienate people from you. And one of the ways this happens in our culture all the time, and we're about to get into this in the next year, is political campaigns. You realize you put a stake in your yard about a certain political candidate, you have just alienated a whole bunch of people who don't support that candidate. Because they don't care what you believe. Because they think you're trying to convince them to vote differently. And far too often, we put that stake in the ground. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be involved in the political process. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be advocates of the things that we believe in. But we need to think about the consequences of those choices and decisions. And I don't know about you, but I don't, as a Christ follower, want to be closely associated with the rhetoric of the political scene. Doesn't mean I'm not going to engage, not going to be a part, but I'm not going to engage in the way that that's being done. I don't care what political party you are supportive of. That's not what Jesus would have done. And if you want to make a difference, people need to know that they're not a project That you're not a salesman. That you're not trying to get a vote. That you have something. You have a message of hope. A message of life. A message that will fill the emptiness of their soul. And you want them to get a taste of what God has given you the opportunity to experience. He then goes on to say, make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of them. Make the most of them. Relationships are built on trust. And trust is earned. And when you earn trust, you get to answer the deepest questions of life. So the first is to pray. The second, to invest. And the third that I want to encourage you to be praying and thinking about is invite. Invite invite them to be involved with you. Invite them over for dinner. Invite them to read a book about something you're talking about. Invite them to listen to a podcast that you've been listening to about something you've been engaging. Invite them to a service here at CCC. We expect guests to come every week, and if you're a guest here this morning, we're honored that you're here. We expect people coming and searching. We expect people who are looking for something more, and we believe that the answer to that is found in Jesus. Our ushers are going to pass out some cards to you, and they say this, simply, you are invited. You're invited. And uh, we're going to ask you to take these cards, but not do anything with these cards for three months. For three months, We want you to take these cards and take that list and sit home and pray for three months about someone that God might want you to invite. And this fall when we do a series entitled Overwhelmed, let me ask you this question. How many of you at this point in time in life are feeling overwhelmed? Let me see your hands. Okay, so are most of your friends, right? So we're going to do a series talking about something that's very relevant to life. And we're going to say, bring your friends. Bring your friends. And we're going to talk about how do we navigate life when we are Overwhelmed. You know, as we talk about this third piece, this invite piece, this is where the tension starts to push up for us. Because most of us are like, I can pray, John, I can do that. I'll pray for a couple people, I'll do that all summer just like you talked about. Most are like, I can invest, I can care about people, I can be involved, I can get to know them, I can be kind and friendly towards them and and respectful to them. But the invite piece, now it feels like I'm kind of forcing my beliefs on them. A recent survey said that 70% of our students and young adults believe that it is intolerant to force our beliefs onto another person. And I want to take a moment and speak to that. Because this issue of tolerance is a huge issue in our culture today. Our culture says tolerance is everyone's viewpoints and beliefs are equally valid. That's what our culture says. But you know, the word tolerance itself simply says that I recognize and respect another's beliefs, even if I disagree. Not they're all equal, we respect them equally. Tolerance says all truth is equal. So if I ask this room this morning, 2 plus 2 equals what? 4. But if I say 2 plus 2 equals 5, you know what tolerance says? You have to agree with me. All truth is equal. Tolerance says you can't offend me. You can't offend me. And so you can't say anything that would risk offending me. Tolerance says you keep your beliefs to yourself and don't force them on me. Don't force them on me. And so my question when I'm faced with these difficult issues is I often ask myself the question, what did Jesus do? Jesus did not just tolerate People. Jesus did not ignore sin. Jesus did not compromise his message, but he always communicated his message with love. Tolerance says, accept and approve of what I do. Love says, I will treat you with respect even if I disagree. Tolerance says, all truth is equal. Love says, I will tell you the truth, and it's not me, the truth It's from Jesus because that truth can set you free. Tolerance says, you have to let me do it my way and you can't tell me there's anything wrong with it. Jesus says, I will plea with you to follow a different way that could change your life regardless if it alienates our relationship. Tolerance seeks to be inoffensive. Love takes risk. Tolerance costs nothing. Love costs everything. And Paul talks about this in this next verse where he says, let your conversation be always full of what? What is that word? Grace. Full of grace. Season with salt. Salt adds flavor. Salt brings out the taste. Salt makes you want more. And this is exactly what Jesus did. John, when he was writing about Jesus, called Him the Word. In the end, he says, who came from the Father, full of what? Grace and full of truth. 100% grace, 100% truth. Both. Both. You see, truth without grace is judgmental. And many of you have walked away from environments and settings where you don't want to be a part of that anymore. And so the danger is we've gone to the other side, and now we're filled with grace. But grace without truth is just sentimental. And Jesus offered something more. Peter describes it in this way. He says, In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer. To everyone ask you the, for the reason, for the hope that's in you. And this is something I studied and I learned. I want to always be able to answer. I want to be, always be able to prove. I want to be always demonstrate why God's word was the right way. But I missed this last phrase. But do this with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. I want to give you an image to walk away with that maybe will help you see this. Um, there are some people that are like this on my far left, your right are cactus Christians. Now the only people that have cactuses are people that don't have kids because kids, they touch them, they run into them, they push their siblings into them. But you know, um, people who don't have kids, they have cactuses. But some Christians are like cactus. You get too close to them and they hurt you. They're bold, they're firm in what they believe, but they lack grace. They're always trying to make a point and so you don't get too close to them because they're what? Prickly, right? And it's going to hurt you if you get too close to them. They often alienate people. But on the other side of the continuum is chameleon Christians. Chameleon Christians. And they're fun. They're the life of the party. They love to be with you. They do their best to blend in. They're full of grace. Full of grace. And that's the other side of the continuum. Now hang with me on this next illustration. The middle is contagious Christians. Now you want to be around that, don't you? You know? Someone who's coughing and sneezing, and you know, but you, if you're around that, what's going to happen? You're going to get stuff sprayed on you, right? As much as you don't want it to be. And you're going to catch something as much as you don't want it to be. As much as you try to wash your hands and, you know, take stuff, you're going to catch something. And if you can get past the grossness of that, you know, I think there's a component of that, of what our faith should be like. Remember, the people who are least like Jesus, they liked Jesus. And what would it look like for anyone who attended CCC to be around people who were very different than those this room this morning? Very different from your background. Very different from your story. Very different from your ethnicity. Very different from your socioeconomic setting. But they liked being around you. Because while they didn't agree with you, they liked the fact that you were gracious. While they didn't always see eye to eye with you, They liked the fact that you cared about them. And while they weren't sure they're ready to follow your Jesus, they knew that there's something radically different about you. And they liked being around you. And so these cards that I've given you, I want you to take them home with you. I don't want you to do anything with them. Far too often the church says, hey, go do something, go invite. No, 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 no. We need to pray first. Because I think in praying, God's going to do something in your heart. God's going to soften your heart. God's going to remind you of your own story. He's going to remind you of where God brought you from. And that the ground at the foot of the cross is level. It's level. And then he's going to invite you to encourage you to invest and spend time caring and being involved in, and having cookouts and hanging out over the fence and talking to co-workers at work and caring about their lives, caring about their story, caring about what's happening in their world. And then when God opens that door for you to have the courage to walk through it and invite them into something that just could change their lives. There's a story. And I want to close with this that some of you may have heard, but it's a story of an old guy that was walking down a beach. And as he was walking down the beach, he would pick something up and throw it in the water. And he'd walk a little bit, pick something up, throw it in the water. And someone was watching him up on the boardwalk. And they watched him go down and come back. And the next day, down and back. Next day, down and back. And what, what's that guy doing? Finally, he walked down and said to this guy, what are you doing? He's like, I'm just... You know these starfish—they wash up on the beach and just picking up and throwing back. as if they sit out here on the beach before the tide comes back in, they get washed in with the tide. They don't get washed back out. They're all going to die. And the guy says to him, "Why? Why are you bothering with that? Why? You're not going to save all these starfish. It doesn't really matter." Guy picks one more up and he throws it. And he says, "It matters to that one. In each of our lives." There's people that God has placed you next to, encircled you with, and he said, you are my ambassador to make a difference for them. So while your faith may be personal, God says, don't keep it privately to yourself. I've got a much more important job for you. You bow your heads with me and pray as we close. God, for each of us, it doesn't matter who we are or what our story is, you've connected people to us. God, in the, in the first service, I met people who were praying for someone who was baptized for decades, decades, and they got a chance to hear a story of someone who met Jesus and their lives were forever changed. And Lord, as I look around this room of a few hundred people and I think around, about the, the several dozen people that each one of these lives touch, um, God, I pray that You would give us um, courage, opportunity, clarity. And we would recognize that You have offered to us and many have received this amazing message of hope about the gospel and that God this life-changing message we would be willing to share that with others help us to do that this summer Lord we pray in your name amen
1: will you stand with us Uh, we're going to teach you a new song today it's called my liberty and there's two phrases this is a lot of fun to sing this song I don't want you to get lost in the fun of it but the there's two phrases in here really stick out that I think really connect with the testimonies that we heard uh, this morning as well as um, the challenge that John brought uh, from the Word today. And the, the one is um, in the bridge it says, I will sing and I will shout your name on high from mountaintops. That's hard to do sometimes. And in the chorus it says, I'm running to you wild and free. I feel like when we experience our faith in, in a really deep way, it, it makes us a little bit wild. And um, people hear that freedom in our story, in our life, and that's what it takes to become that contagious Christian that John was talking about. So sing along if you know it, and we'll, we'll teach it to you.
2: a light that leads us back to grace forever shining and never fades. There's revival still.
1: your challenge this week. Pray to God to have him show you that wild and free experience of freedom and liberty today. Thanks a lot. Have a great weekend.